This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, guys, I, I, so, good, so good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us in person. There are many that are joining us online. Thank you for joining us online as well. We're in the series called Freedom. And in this series, we've been basically going through the book of Galatians. started last week. Today's going to be the second week, and the next week we're going to finish the series, or the third part of the series. But um, essentially, what Paul is trying to communicate in Galatians is that Christianity is not just another religion. In fact, Christianity is not a religion at all. Now, last week I said that. And I did have a few conversations after. We're not, not, not hostile conversations, just a few conversations where somebody wanted to kind of argue with me the point that, well, it really is one of the major religions of the world. Okay. So let me clarify what I said last week. I'm going to clarify. Um, Christianity is not a religion. Is that clear? <laughs> it's not a religion. Okay. And see, it makes some people uncomfortable um, saying that because some people are, have grown up in religion. They're kind of used to the rules of religion. In fact, they've kind of, uh, and, and I likened it, we, we're using, if you see the graphic here, we're using the idea of freedom, uh, freedom from prison. And so in many ways, religion is like a prison. I know it's hard for some people to hear that because, like, again, they're, they're, used, to, they're, they're used to the rules or used to the, they're used to the way of living. In fact, in fact the, the prison has now somewhat kind of become like home for them, you know? They know how to navigate it. They know how to walk through it. They, they get, in fact, some of them might even have some status among the other inmates in this prison. And so it feels good. And so when you say it's not a religion, that's tough to hear But I have to just, you have to hear me, okay? Jesus came to set us free. And it's so much better on the outside than it is on the inside. Freedom. When I was in Bible college, I I was a new believer. I had been a Christian maybe for two or three years by this time. And and, um, I remember a professor, a professor I really liked a lot, he made a statement that just puzzled me. I, when I heard the statement, I thought, really? That just, I can't, it was just hard for me to believe back then. This was, this was in 1985, so 35 years ago. Um, and I, I, just, I just had a hard time believing this, what he said. He said, it's possible, it's possible to be raised in church and not raised in Christ. Now, I had a hard time believing that because I was a brand new Christian, but now as a pastor, that kind of makes me a little bit nauseous to think that somebody could be raised in church, but not raised in Christ. It's hard for me to hear that. But what I know is that it's not only possible, it's common. Where people grow up, happens all too often, they grow up learning to be religious and not learning to walk with Jesus. They grow up learning to follow rules, but they don't grow up understanding grace. That grace has come to set us free. And it's out of God's love, it's out of God's compassion and grace that any of us walk in holiness. 
So it's hard when I say grace is greater than religion. People think that's just difficult to hear that. I mean, Rich, what are you saying? This just sounds too easy, right? Shouldn't there be rules that are imposed that, that, you know, shouldn't there be some kind of distinctives? Doesn't the Bible talk about holiness? Doesn't the Bible talk about a Christian living a distinct life? Yes, the Bible does talk about holiness. But the holiness that the Bible talks about is out of relationship, not out of us following rules to earn favor with God. In fact, I kind of liken it to, to marriage. When, when I got married 34 years ago um, to my wife, Christy, there was a list of rules that, that I knew in advance and I signed up to. I signed, I signed, I signed up for. I took this class uh, marriage class, and uh, you know they told us all these things, and some some of these rules that I signed up for, I knew in advance was I was going to love her for better or for worse, that I was going to care for her in sickness and in health, that I was going to be faithful to her till death did us part, and then when we got married, I found out there was another whole uh, a whole other list of rules that were that I had not signed up for, right? Like you're not supposed to leave the toilet seat down and use the bathroom as a man. Right, or it, it would be nice to pick up your underwear and not leave it on the bathroom floor every day. You know, little things like that. It would be nice every once in a while to affirm your spouse when she's worked really hard in the house and stuff. And I mean, those are a lot of. That's kind of like the fine print things that I did not actually sign up for, but I had to learn along the way. And it's real. You know, that's real. If you've been married, you understand that, right? How many married people understand that there, were, that there was some fine print you didn't quite read before you got married? Yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that's true. <clears throat> now, if my marriage was simply a list of rules that I needed to follow, a list of obligations that I needed to keep, it wouldn't take long for me to feel angry and frustrated and disappointed it wouldn't take long for me to feel exhausted and tired because I was working so hard and yet not getting far enough, not being good enough. And if you've been married, you understand that, right? You understand that in, in our relationships as a husband and wife, too often we, we argue over things and a lot of it circles around you're just not meeting certain needs. And if my marriage was made up of just that, just lists, if it was about a list to follow, then I'm not sure that I would stick, stick with that. But the problem is I am, and not the, it's not a problem, it's reality, but I am passionately in love with my wife, Christy. And these rules, these things that I'm doing, they don't feel like an obligation. They're not a burden. I delight in them. And I delight in them because I want the things that she is passionate about, the things that she cares about, I want those things to be the things that I care about. In fact, in fact, that's how I, we've lasted these 34 years because as I understand things that she cares about, then I start really trying to care about those things as well. I try to adopt some of those things and vice versa. And our marriage has not been perfect, but there is, we have grown. And here's the deal. I'm faithful to her, not because 34 years ago I said, I promise I'm going to do this and here's the rules I'm going to keep. I'm faithful to her because I love her. And that's holiness. I'm faithful to Christ Jesus because 37 years ago he came into my life and he set me free. He set me free. 
He gave me a new hope, a new life, new perspective, new joy, new peace. And yeah, there's some rules out there. That's how you read the Bible and there's some rules. But I don't do those things because I have to do those things. I do those things because I love them. I live holy because I love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace is definitely greater, and we've been set free. Last week, we defined religion as man's attempt. Man's attempt. I, got, I think I've got the definition this time. I tried first service, and I messed up. Man's attempt to appease God. So it's our human attempt to appease God and earn his favor. So religion is about working. It's about doing something so that, God, so that we're in good standing with God. Appease his favor by working hard and being good enough. That's the definition of religion, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach, it, teach that it's about earning it because Jesus already paid the price for whatever we could have earned. Whatever you would attempt to try to earn in, in your goodness, trying to be good enough, Jesus already paid that price. It's about putting our hope and trust in Jesus who did it for, did it for us already, what we could have never done. So Paul comes into the region of Galatia, and he begins to preach this message of grace, this message of, of freedom, right? And people get a, a bit uncomfortable. He goes to these different cities. They start heaping abuse on him. They start terrorizing them. In fact, in one city, they try to stone Paul to death. They were unsuccessful. He doesn't die, but they try to kill him. They don't like what he's saying, right? But what you find out about Paul is that he doesn't care. Because for Paul, it's not a popularity contest. He's been set free from religion. He's been set free from the fear of what other people think about him. And that's really what we're talking about today. Last week, we talked about about freedom from religion. Today, we're going to talk about freedom from what other people think. Now, you see that up there and you think, yeah, I don't feel that way. I'm not not afraid of what other people think. Okay. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Whereas uh, two things, these two things have a way of going hand in hand, religion and thinking, you know, trying to impress people, you know? So when Paul goes to this place in Galatia and he starts preaching, there's a couple different types of believers there. There's the Jewish believers, the ones who are Jews, and then they, they accept this message of grace that, Paul, that Paul's talking about. And they receive it. They love it. It's, it's freedom for them, Right. And among them were some leaders, some what, they, what we call Judaizers, that did not like what Paul was teaching. You know, they were upset about that, right? Paul goes there, he says, listen, this message that you have been all along trying to follow the law of Moses, that didn't get the job done. But what Jesus did on the cross, and he died, and he was resurrected, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, that is getting the job done. That is what's bringing true freedom. People received it, but there was a whole group of people that did not like what, what he was saying. There's these religious leaders, they felt threatened by it. And religious leaders felt threatened by it because they use religion, the law, they use the law as a way to make themselves feel better, but also as a way to control other people. So when I, when I say, hey, these are the things that you have to do, and it just happens that I've, I'm doing them myself, but these are the things that you have to do, I feel superior to you, Right? And then, because you feel like that's what you have to do, because you feel this obligation to do that, then I have a way of controlling you. And so when you take that out of the picture, these religious leaders, they feel very threatened. They're upset that Paul's saying, no, 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 it's not about following all those rules. It's about grace through Jesus Christ. It's about freedom in Jesus Christ. That threatens them. 
They're upset, and they begin to pressure these new believers into, you know, following all the rules. And so these believers kind of cave into that. And this is why Paul's writing the book of Galatians, because these new believers are beginning to follow these rules again. They're going back to the old ways, as Paul would say, right? And so then there's also another group of believers among them. These are the Gentiles. Gentiles, they were not liked. In fact, there was the Judaizers just didn't feel like they belonged, they, they belonged in the church at all. In fact, last week we talked about if there was going to be Gentiles in the church, then these Judaizers said, well, if you're going to be, if, that's fine. Okay, follow Jesus. That's great. We're glad that you're following Jesus, but you have to be circumcised as well. That was the rule, right? That was some law being added to it. Paul is livid with this. This makes him angry. In fact, what it says in Galatians 5.12, this is Paul talking about the Judaizers. He says, as for those agitators, talking about these Judaizers, these guys are trying to get people to follow the law. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Well, that's an encouraging letter. (laughs) Okay, Paul. Woo. I'm sure this is the polite way of saying what he really wanted to say, but you see how serious Paul takes this? Because for him, for him, adding it's at Jesus plus anything was a perversion to the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. If you add anything to Jesus, you're perverting the gospel. Key verse in Galatians is Galatians 5.1. This is, this is how the message paraphrases it. It says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. Christ has set us free to live a free life. Don't you want that? I know I do. See, you've not been set free by grace so that you can go back to the prison of religion. You've not been set free by grace so that you can go back to the prison of worrying about what other people say and think. You've been set free. You've been set free from shame. You've been set free from guilt. And that's what religion brings is shame and guilt. But grace sets you free from that. That's what we want. I think sometimes, though, it's easy for us to fall into this trap of going back to religion. It's easy for us to go back to worrying about what people think. I know I, know I do that. I know sometimes I filter the things that I say, the things that I do, because I want to make sure that you receive it well, that you like it, that, you, that you're not you know, upset with me when I say those things. I'm sure other people do that as well. We go around worrying what others might say. See, most of this, most of this is about worrying about the external. Jesus challenged that constantly, especially with the Pharisees. You go to Matthew 23 and Luke 11, you'll see that Jesus constantly was challenging the Pharisees about the external. In fact, one day he tells them, says, listen, you guys come in. You guys look great. You're dressed. You're flowing robes. You're nice outfits. You're coming into the temple to worship. You look amazing. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> you look amazing. You're awesome. You have really impressed the people. But then Jesus said, but I know who you are. Thank you. Excuse me. <clears throat> I know who you are. <clears throat> you know what you are? You're just whitewashed graves. You look pretty on the outside, but on the inside, you're just a bunch of bones that are rotting. And then he goes on to say, man looks at the outside, but God looks at what? God looks at the heart. Too often when we worry about what people think, it's because we're worried about the external. 
But you need to know that God looks at your heart. Jesus came to set us free from what other people think. So here, I wrote down some symptoms of what, of fear of what others might think, you know. So <clears throat> I'm going to go down this list. And, you know, if, that's, if it hits you, if it, you know, if it don't, you don't have to raise your hand or respond to it or anything. But just if it's something that you might think, you might feel a certain way that way. Uh, so here's some symptoms of fear of what other people think. Uh, you go along with, and want, you go along with what others want and resent it later. You ever been in that place? Like in a meeting, you know, I was like, yeah, we should do this. You're like, yeah, okay, let's do this. And then you go home, you're like, I can't believe they're going to do that. You know, <laughs> it happens. People do that. <clears throat> you change what you think based on who's in the room, right? Like there's a whole bunch of people in the room and you think, oh man, I don't think they agree with me. So I'm just going to kind of say, kind of go, go with the flow. That's oftentimes that we're afraid of what other people think. You avoid social settings or you never want to miss out. <clears throat> like avoiding social, I don't want to go there because I don't, I'm afraid of what people might, you don't say that, but that's what it is. You're afraid of what people might think. Or you don't ever want to miss out because you're afraid of what people might want to think. You read into what other people say or do, so it always kind of come back, comes back to you. Like maybe a friend has had a bad day, a rough day, and you're hanging out with them all day long. And, and, then, they, and then after a while, you're like, Gosh, they're still upset. I wonder if I said something. I wonder if I did something. And it kind of comes back to you. Now you're worried that you've done something. It's again, fear of what other people think. You have a hard time asking for help. That's my problem. <clears throat> Today I was, I, I was trying to get, recruit somebody to help me uh, get my garage. New, I got a new garage door and I want to put a garage door on. <clears throat> and um, I was showing them my battle scars of you know, not asking for help. Uh, last time I had to replace a spring on my garage door. I, um, you know, I, I followed instructions, but you know, people were telling, everybody was telling me, that is dangerous, get an expert. And I'm like, I can do this, you know. Didn't ask for help. And so I was talking to them about getting my garage door on, you know, and she goes, yeah, it's dangerous. I know, I've learned. <laughs> the, I had the bar, you know, kind of releasing the, the spring on the thing. I was kind of, and it slipped and it flew down and missed my head, just like this, and it hit my, but it hit my hand, and like literally just popped my hand open, got a bunch of stitches. So yeah, hard time asking for help because you don't want to feel, you're afraid that someone might feel, you're in, feel like you might think you're incapable or you can't do the job, right? You have a difficult time saying no, that's me as well. I tend to say yes a lot, and, and, not, and you know, that might sound good. It might sound very generous and giving, but you know what it is? It's fear of being rejected or fear of fear of not being liked you're critical and judgmental of others this often happens in religious circles um, we criticize others because it makes us feel better feel superior like I've conquered that sin I don't man look how terrible they are they just really struggling with that sin but look at me I'm I haven't you know you exaggerate the truth to impress, you know, kind of evangelistically speaking <laughs> sometimes. <clears throat> um, there's a whole lot more symptoms, but the reason I share just these few is because I was trying to convey this reality that we all struggle with this. We all struggle with the worry of what other people think, the fear of what other people think, and Jesus wants to give us freedom from that. One of the ways that he does is he gives us a new identity and a fresh start. That's why Jesus came, was to give you a new identity. Do you get that? 
that in Christ, you are a new person. In Christ, I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you have been in prison most of your life and you've done crimes all your life or if you basically have always done everything right as far as the world is concerned. Whatever your background is, when you come to Jesus Christ, you get a fresh start, period. You have a new identity. So when our identity is firmly rooted in Jesus, we feel freedom from God. It doesn't matter what other people might say. It doesn't matter because what Jesus says or what God says about you is that you are his son. You are his daughter. And if you are his son and you are his daughter, and if that big truth is true, then all these other little truths, yeah, maybe you were a former drug addict, maybe you've made a few mistakes along the way, doesn't matter. Because you are his son and you are his daughter. That's the big truth. You have a new identity in Jesus Christ. We can see this. That Paul writes to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 1.1 1, 1, he says, this letter is from Paul, <clears throat> an apostle. Notice he self-identifies as an apostle. He says, I'm an apostle. Now, this is a big word he's using because there's 12. Like, these are, the, these are the guys, the apostles, right? There's 12 original that walked with Jesus, you know, and then Judas kind of fell off, and there was a new guy that came in. And, uh, and, then, and then Paul comes in later, right? And he says, I'm an apostle. But then he goes on to say how he became an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority. Nobody, nobody appointed me, nobody put me in there, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. I love how the message kind of paraphrases this, this portion here. It says, my authority for writing to you, okay, he says, I'm an apostle. He says, my authority to, for writing to you does not come from, a, from any popular vote of the people. He knew that people were gonna not like him. He knew that they were not going to like that message that he had. But he also knew that there was a whole lot more at stake than just a popularity contest. He knew that he couldn't go to these churches and give them a half gospel because he wanted to be popular with them. He knew that he had to give them the whole gospel, which is a gospel of grace and freedom. And there were going to be people who were not going to like it. It was going to be hard for them. This must have even been difficult for Paul. Paul himself kind of grew up in a system that was all about the approval of others and the approval of God. And he had to follow all these rules. He talks about that a little bit in Galatians 1.10. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. Not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, in other words, if my goal, Pastor Rich, if Pastor Rich's goal is to stand up and please people, then this is what he says. I would not be Christ's servant. That's, that's big words from the Apostle Paul. And so if our whole goal is to please people, and not, we never say that. We, we couch it in a lot of other things. We say it in a lot of other ways. But if ultimately what it is is I'm afraid of what people think of me and so therefore I'm going to please people, then it says I'm not Christ's servant. I have to be honest with you guys. <clears throat> I'm kind of a rule follower. I am. I, my, my wife, when she, uh, 
when she cooks, she, she like says, oh yeah, there was this recipe that my grandma had and I can't find it, but I think I got it. And she just like starts throwing ingredients in the pot. I'm like, ah, that just drives me nuts. I, I, you know, and then, and then it comes out right. I'm like, how much did you use? I don't know. I just put it in there. I'm like, that just, that just blows me out. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rule follower. So like she, she was working on Wednesday and she said, hey, can you make some pumpkin bars for Thanksgiving? I'm like, sure, I'll make some pumpkin, pumpkin, bars, pumpkin bars for Thanksgiving. And I started going, started you know, getting it all together and mixing it, got all the wet ingredients t- together. And then I was getting the dry ingredients, but I couldn't find the teaspoon measure thing, you know, the little me- teaspoon measure, whatever you call it, whatever that's called. And I had, to, I had a tablespoon, I had the half teaspoon, and I could have used a half teaspoon twice, I guess, but, but I needed the teaspoon. And I paused my cooking for 30 minutes searching for that stinking teaspoon measuring thing, because I needed to put exactly a teaspoon of baking soda and two teaspoons of baking powder in that mix. And I finally found it in the dishwasher. We had this hidden kind of like skinny drawer where you put all these little things that can hide, and it was in there, you know. I'm a rule follower. I, I am. And I say that. I know we're laughing about it, but I said because I think too often that comes from caring too much about what people think. When we were in Bangladesh, um, uh, we, for those of you who don't know, we served 10 years in Bangladesh as missionaries. But when we were there, uh, there was this, this thing they call Boroshova, which is, means, all that means is big meeting. And it's the annual big meeting of the Assemblies of God in the country. And so all the Assemblies of God believers, they go to, they go to this one place, usually a, a very discreet place, Christian influence kind of area, so there's no persecution. It's a Muslim country, you know. So, and so I had with me the speaker who was a Nigerian evangelist, and he was going to go with me. I was supposed to take him to this big meeting, and he was going to speak that night, you know, and... And so we're in my van. I have a bunch of other Bengali uh, pastors with me, and we're, we're driving. It's, it's about a, like a straight shot. If you drove straight with no traffic, it would be about five hours, but that's impossible in Bangladesh. So we gave ourselves nine hours to get there. I left like 11 hours before I had to actually be there. So, you know, I was giving myself a good cushion of time just in case, you know, we ran into trouble along the way, right? So we're driving. I'm clipping along. I've been going for a couple of hours. We're getting, and, and to get from my city, I was living in the city of Dhaka, to the city of Kulna, which is where this meeting was being held, there's this huge river. I mean, huge river between us. That the only way across it is by ferry. It's the, uh, it's the uh, basically the delta that part of Bangladesh is the delta of the Ganges River. So it's so big that you actually can't even see land on the other side. That's how, how wide this river is. And so to get across it, you have to get on a ferry and then cross over to the ferry, cross over on the ferry, right? And so I'm clipping along and about 10 miles from the ferry landing place. Um, it, traffic comes to this dead stop. I mean, nobody's moving, nobody's moving. And I come up, and I'm stopped there. And, you know, the thing about Bangladesh is that Bangladesh, nobody makes lines in Bangladesh, right? Like, you go, like, I was, I got American, you know, I can, normal American thing. I go, and I see, a, I got to go buy something in this store. I walk up, and I, I'm ready to purchase something. And then people just come in on next to me, and just, they're jumping in front of me. And, buy, you know, they don't even think anything about, about it, you know? So, and they do the same thing with traffic lines. There's no such thing as single line traffic lines in Bangladesh either. So, so I'm, I'm dutifully following the rule, staying in line, inching along, trying to get to the ferry. And there's 
trucks and cars and bicycles and rickshaws and rickshaw vans and I mean all kinds of types of transport just passing by me and trying to cut in front of me and you know I mean I just I was I was frustrated you know and but you know I'm concerned about what people think so I'm going to do I'm going to follow the rules right so I'm inching along and then as we're going along there was a sign on the right that said VIP ferry like very important person VIP ferry and it had an arrow pointing that way and there was a highway that went that way and it was empty nobody was on the highway so I look and I said oh wow look and then the guys in the van they're like brother turn left go down that way I'm like no 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 I have black plates I don't have the yellow plates for the VIP plates I I can't go that way no no, brother you need to go that way we're going to get on the ferry no problem I don't think we're going to get on the ferry you know I'm trying to follow the rules right next thing you know I'm flying down this highway towards the ferry towards the VIP ferry and I get to the VIP ferry and and, uh, immediately the ferry guy there stops me and says looks at my license plate and says you got to turn around (laughs) You're no, this is not a, you're not a VIP. You have yellow license plates. If you're a VIP, you don't have, you don't have a, a VIP plates. And so I was like starting to turn around and everybody in the band's like, no, 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 no. We're going to get on the ferry and they're saying all kinds of stuff. And then they said, and then they said, tell them that you have this minister from Nigeria. Cause this had this, uh, this Nigerian evangelist, famous guy in Nigeria and big guy, Uma Ukpai. And, um, tell him you have this minister from Nigeria. So I say to the ferry guy, well, I have this minister from Nigeria. Now, technically, I was not lying. Well, I was. I guess technically I was lying, but it's all true as well. Because uh, when we say minister, you know what that means, right? It's like a preacher, pastor. But in Bangladesh, when you say minister, what that means is like prime minister. (laughs) Like minister of parliament, you know? And so... When I said, we have this minister from Nigeria, he kind of looks, by, looks back there, and Uma Upai, man, he, he played the role perfectly. He had this, this big, gigantic guy, you know, and he had this beautiful, like, African dress thing on, you know, just really sharp looking, this big hat on, and he sits there, and, he, and when the guy peeked his head to look, Uma goes, come on, let's go. <laughs> like, the guy's like, okay, get on the ferry, you know, so we got on the ferry, and uh, I'm sitting on the ferry, and after, after being on the ferry for a few minutes, I realized, and I, I kind of got past the embarrassment of all the stuff that I had to do to get, get on the ferry. I have to tell you, and, and while I'm on the ferry looking over to the other ferry that we were waiting to get on and seeing tens of thousands of vehicles waiting to get on the ferry, I think they had a strike or something, and they were not letting people on, there was a lot of freedom in that. There's a lot of freedom in just not caring about what other people think. And I'd say that for a lot of you on this journey, it's time to let go. Stop being so caught up in what other people think or say about you. I know for me as a pastor and a preacher, I can find myself getting caught up in what people are thinking but then I have to remind myself of why I do this. I know that you have an expectation that Pastor Rich is going to come here and have prepared a sermon and that you know, you're going to get some Bible teaching and, and hopefully, hopefully some entertainment. You know, It's not going to be boring, hopefully. <clears throat> but you need to hear this. I don't do this for you. 
I do this for the audience of one. I do this because I'm called to do this. And sometimes because of that, there's freedom in that because when I know that I'm doing it for him, sometimes I have to say some hard things. You don't want to hear it. You don't like to hear it. Sometimes I speak about areas of life that need to be surrendered to Jesus Christ and I can hear, I can hear the seat squirming. And this is true for you as well, that you are to be faithful to an audience of one, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, at home. Think about this. Some, of, some people in this place, some people in this place come to church, you live, you act, you, you, you're the, like the holiest person on earth, but then you go home and you have this complete other pers- persona. And you live like the devil at home. And yes, you might have gotten your, your wife or your husband or your children to stay quiet about it. They're embarrassed. They don't want to tell anybody. But remember, you're doing this for the audience of one. And he sees it. And he knows it. And this is why, this is what prompts us to holiness, is that he is watching us. That we're doing it to please him. For Paul, this was a journey that he had to make. And it was a difficult journey. In fact, Jesus kind of condemns this whole way of living. In fact, he was talking to Pharisees in Matthew 23, 5. He says, everything, they talk about these Pharisees, everything they do is for men to see. Everything they do, they're just doing it so that people can see them. This is what Paul had learned to do, to really care about what other people thought. And then Jesus comes into his life and it changes all that. Look what it says in Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now you've heard this verse before, and probably you've heard this verse in the context of when I was an old sinner living, you know, living my old simple ways, running from God, then that was, that was the old way. Now I'm in the new way. But that's not really the context of this verse. In fact, I'm going to read the message version so you can get the context of this verse. In Galatians 2, starting with verse 19, it says, I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. I can identify with that, and some of you can identify with that. You were like keeping rules. You were working your head off to please God. And at the end of the day, you'd lay your head down at night to sleep and you'd say, man, but I just feel such, like such a sinner. I feel, I feel so far from God. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be, a, be God's man. <laughs> I love this language. Christ's, loves, Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego, this is what crucified with Christ means, my ego is no longer central. What I want, what's, you know, what's about rich, green, that's no longer the center, center, of the, uh, center stage. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Now, my goal isn't to make you hate me, but that's not what's driving me, as Paul's saying. Christ lives in me, he says. That's what's important. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it's lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to, back, go, I'm not going back, going to go back on that. Paul says, I'm not going back to that prison of religion. I'm not going back to that prison of caring and always worrying about impressing other people. There's freedom when we finally allow ourselves to be identified with Jesus.
And that's really the learning curve, isn't it, for us when we come to Jesus? Because too often, and this is unfortunate, but this happens, too often in church what happens is that somebody, a new believer comes in, they, they get saved, and they're raw. I mean, they're, they're living with their girlfriend or their boyfriend, or they're, they're, you know, they're still maybe addicted to some drugs, and there's all kinds of things that they're wrestling through, you know, and they're just raw. And so what we do is we come along, instead of teaching them to love Jesus, we come along and say, hey, well, this is how you should do this. This is, how you should do this. This is what you should do. This is how you should do this. And so they start learning that method. And we teach them to live by the law instead of living by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't say that we don't give them good advice or anything. That's not what I'm saying. But what we need to be teaching people is to learn how to identify with Jesus to find my identity in Christ Jesus. Who does Jesus say you are? And that's the truth that we constantly speak to any new believer. Who does Jesus say that you are? Who does you, oh gosh, you really screwed up. You went this way, and when Jesus really wants you here, you went that way. That's okay, but who does Jesus say that you are? You're his son. You're his daughter. I remember when we first started Life Church, we were trying to do something that, you know, that really had not been done a lot, at least not at that time, 15 years ago. You know, we were trying to do it, start a church that was reaching people that were lost and disconnected, but those people also who did not feel like church had the answers for them. Like, we, we just knew that there were people out there that we called them the de-churched. People had been there, done that, and they thought, yeah, I don't want to go back. That's how they felt. And so our goal was to try to reach those people, Right? And so we had focused. That was our call. That was our calling. That was our desire. And so we, we, started, we embarked on that. Chris Carey was with me. We said, this is what we're going to do. And we were trying to do a lot of things. It felt a little edgy sometimes, a little crazy. We did one time a, what we called a U2 Christmas. And we played U2 songs during Christmas services. And I mean, we had all kinds of flack. All kinds of people were just upset with us had all kinds of opposition. But you know, the opposition didn't really come from the people we were trying to reach. It didn't come from the people that were lost and disconnected, that found freedom and hope in Jesus Christ. It came from the religious people that were, had joined our church. You see, when you start a church, it's like a magnet for religious people. <laughs> it really is. Like, we had all kinds of religious people just, just flock to church, you know, and they're coming. In fact, one time we almost had a coup at Life Church because we wanted to do an Easter egg hunt. Uh, seriously, I, we wanted to do an Easter. We wanted to do an Easter egg hunt. We wanted to, you know, just bless our community and bless people in our community with an Easter egg hunt. And I mean, I just had so much opposition. What does East? What does Easter eggs have to do with Easter? You know, what does a bunny have to do with Jesus Christ and the resurrection and and you know <laughs> all that? I'm like, yeah, nothing really. But it's you know, it's a nice thing to do for kids. That's how I felt. But and to be honest, you know, we caved in. We said, okay, fine, we're not going to do it. And then about a, it took us about a year. We processed it for about a year and realized, oh, that was dumb. Let's just do it anyways. <laughs> so the following year, we did an Easter egg hunt. We call it the Easter extravaganza. 10,000 extra, egg extravaganza. extravaganza. Bad naming, by the way. It was Chris, Chris who did that, not me. But um, <clears throat> we, so we had 10,000 plastic Easter eggs that we were going to, you know, put out in our community and, I mean, do, a, do an Easter egg hunt for our community. We actually, actually ended up with about 12,000. We stuffed them, had these parties where we were stuffing eggs with, with candy and stuff. And then we set it out here in the park here in, in Coralville. 
and uh, invited people to come. We just weren't sure. We were worried that people, nobody would show up, and then we'd have 12,000 Easter eggs, you know. Didn't know what we were going to do with 12,000 Easter eggs. So, so, so we advertised. Chris on the, went on the radio and did a few things like that, and on the day of, we thought, okay, a good day would be about 500 people show up. That'd be awesome. 5,000 <laughs> showed up. We had, okay, so let's just do the math here. 5,000 show up, and we have 12,000 eggs. <laughs> it, was, it was a disaster. Um, no, it was actually great. It was great. We had this cool video, actually. You should go watch the video sometime. It's on our, our YouTube page, I think. But um, this cool video of the, you know, we had set all the eggs out, you know, and had these quadrants, and age groups were going to go here, and other age groups were going to go there, and they were all lining up, and when the horn blew, you know, the, they're going to go and start picking eggs, you know, and you can see the ground is just covered with eggs all eggs everywhere and then the video starts playing all you see is like you see the eggs and you see a a few kids walking and then it was like this like this army of ants and i mean they just go through and the easter egg hunt was done like in three minutes done (laughs) you know and then he had parents say my kid didn't even get one egg one kid got 12 eggs i didn't even get one you know and yeah, it was, it was a disaster. But anyways, we almost didn't have it just because of what people think, right? number of people that wish I would just dress more pastorally, so I tried today. I tucked my shirt in. Is that, <laughs> that work? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I even had one person tell me that my glasses, I'm not kidding you, this is God's truth. My glasses were too trendy and that it sends mixed messages. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. It's funny because I said that in first service and I got a, a person uh, that I'm friends with. He said, hey, I don't like your glasses. <laughs> but you don't care. Yeah, I don't care. That's right. That's what he said. I don't like your glasses, but you probably don't care. <laughs> I have to be honest with you, back then when we were starting this church, um, I'm, I probably cared too much about what people thought. I didn't really want to cave in to the demands or what they were thinking, but at the same time, we were a small church. We didn't have a lot of people. I didn't want them to leave either because I didn't agree with them. And it was during this season that really this message of the Apostle Paul became very real to me because it was this message of grace and freedom that actually prompted me to come to start Life Church in the very beginning. And it was this message that began to speak to my heart when I was feeling the attacks of what I would say religious. They probably didn't label themselves that way. They probably felt they were righteous people. You know, and I mean, I'm I'm not demonizing them. They were good people, great people, loved those people. But they just had other views about things. And so it was this message of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas going into Galatia and speaking about freedom and grace, this message is what began to stir me and, and gave me courage to move ahead. In fact, when Paul goes to Antioch, you know the story, he goes to Antioch and he starts preaching in Antioch and immediately, this message of grace, immediately he gets opposed. Immediately they're, they're telling him that, you know, they're heaping abuse on him, they're upset with him in another city, he got stoned to death, almost, he almost got stoned to death. You know what it says that they did after they were being lied about and abused? It says that they just shook the dust off their feet and they went on to the other city. You see, Paul and Barnabas knew something that sometimes you and I have a hard time remembering. The most important thing 
about you is not what other people think or say. I'm not pausing so you can let that sink in. The most important thing about you is not what other people think or say. The most important thing about you, the most important thing about me, is what God says about you and me. That's the most important thing. He's the audience that we're living for every single day of our life. Not the rules that other people put up. Not the ideas that they have about how you should be a Christian this, type, this way or that way. I do what I do because of what God says I am. Paul kind of underlines this in Galatians 3. He says, for you are all children of God. You are all children of God. Before this, you were Gentiles and Jews and you're everything, but you are all children of God through faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. All, <clears throat> and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. This is your new identity. This is who you are, right? There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I want to ask us all to stand. <clears throat> this is a, you know, I, I battled kind of getting, working on this message because there's not a whole lot of concreteness about it. Like, it's not, just like I cannot say, if you are doing this, you are guilty of this, you know, and therefore try to fix it. <laughs> it's not how, I, I, I wouldn't approach it that way anyways, but that's, this is a little bit more subjective because it's about what you think. It's what brings you a sense of identity and self. And I don't know that about people. When I walk up to a person, I don't know. Sometimes I can pick it up. Sometimes I can, I can discern, oh yeah, this person really needs attention, you know, or whatever. <clears throat> so I can't tell you, I, I can't tell you what you need to do, what you need to do, but what I can say is this, is that Jesus has come to bring you freedom from what other people think. Jesus has come to bring you, I'm going to say it again, because it's, it's such a huge thing. He's come to bring you freedom from what other people think. And I know you want that freedom. I know I, know I do, and I know I, every day I'm, I'm living in that freedom, and sometimes I just get, oh gosh, go back to those, those uh, Judaizer ways, but this freedom of knowing that I can wake up in the morning and I've done everything that, God, I mean, I can go to bed at night and I've done everything that God has asked me to do. Some people don't like it, some people love it, doesn't matter. I've done what God has asked me to do. And I want you to have that same freedom. I want you to have that identity in Christ. That's what you need. doesn't matter what other people say. It matters only what God says about you. Amen? I'm going to pray for you, and then Pastor Josh is going to lead us in worship. Father, Lord, I know that in this room, in a room like this, with this number of people, Father, that's there are some who are struggling with, with what other people think, Father. They, maybe it's not necessarily here in church, but maybe it's a parent. And for years, a parent just told them, this is, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are. And they believe that about themselves. And maybe they believe that they're worthless and that they're, 
that they're incapable of living a life of faithfulness to you, God. And maybe that's how they feel because that's what they've been told. That's what they've been demonstrated. But Father, you say that they are your children. It's your daughter. It's your son. And you've called us into freedom. And yes, maybe maybe I was unfaithful. Maybe I was a, a, a terrible sinner in my past. But I have a new identity in you, Jesus. And so today, Father, I just simply put my hands out, Lord, and I say, God, help me to live in this new identity. Help me to live as a person you have called me to become. Help me to live for an audience of one. In Jesus' name.